This podcast is sponsored by What They Believe series, a docu-series exploring faith through conversations. If your congregation would like to share your history and spirituality, go to whatthebelieveseries.com to find out how you can participate. Visit now to find new episodes and learn about supporting this project. The views and opinions expressed during Eye on the Triangle do not represent WKNC or the student media. Your dial is currently tuned to Eye on the Triangle at WKNC 88.1. Thanks for listening. During tonight's show of Eye on the Triangle, we have interviewed two health and safety professionals about SARS-CoV-2, the pandemic gripping the United States and currently sweeping the world. Both sources here are credible individuals from their respective fields, but while we've all been social distancing for what feels like forever, our understanding of SARS-2 is constantly evolving. When in doubt of new information, always be sure to concentrate on that which makes you and your loved ones safest. Misinformation has always been a risk, and the pandemic year of 2020 it's all the more important to verify the truth of what you hear. We at WKNC and I in the Triangle urge our listeners to follow up, to stay informed, and to stay safe. Keep your ears to the ground, people. Let's get on with the show. I'm Aaron Kling with WKNC 88.1's I in the Triangle, and I'm currently speaking with Dr. Elizabeth Tilson, the State Health Director and Chief Medical Officer at the North Carolina Department of Human Health and Services. Hello, Dr. Tilson. Hi, how are you? It's good to join you again. I'm doing well considering the nation's circumstances. Now, we're here talking about SARS-CoV-2, often called coronavirus, and what the public can do to keep themselves safe. Now, everyone has heard the big ones for reducing infection, maintaining a distance of six feet, vigorously washing hands with soap and water for 20 seconds, and remaining indoors and abstaining from all non-essential public tasks. However, today we're also discussing exposure via surfaces. This advice is for those who want to make absolutely sure, those who have compromised immune systems, and those that fall within the age demographic where SARS-2 is of much higher risk. Dr. Tilson, what can you tell us? That's a great question and a really great topic, and we've been thinking a lot about it. So the first thing I want to say is, though, the most likely way that the virus is spread is that if somebody is sick and they're coughing and those respiratory droplets passing from one person to another is the most efficient way that this virus is spread. So just want to say that first. Most of the transmission is from that these respiratory droplets coughing and sneezing. So just be sure we know about that. And that's the reason why we say stay six feet away from people, especially if they're coughing um, and sneezing, because that's the most efficient route of transmission. However, we do think there is a portion, and I don't know the exact number, I'm not sure anybody does, but there is the potential for some transmission from surfaces, right? So if somebody is coughing and sneezing and those respiratory droplets land on a surface and then somebody then touches that surface and then those respiratory droplets gets on their hands and then you touch your face with those dirty hands, that's another way of getting the infection. Probably less infection is spread that way. We do know there's a portion of that, which is why the reason to wash your hands really well is because if your hands did touch the respiratory droplets on the surface, you want to make sure they're washed well. And why we say don't touch your face, 
As always, coughing and sneezing is the greatest risk, but since these viral particles can be so sticky and they can persist on surfaces, that also is definitely a risk. Now, how long can viral particles from SARS-2 persist on surfaces? We're still learning a lot, but the most recent data that I saw was that um, on cardboard, it looks like maybe the virus can stay alive for about 24 hours. And then on harder surfaces like plastic or steel, it could be up to a couple days, two to three days. What can you do to clear things off of surfaces? Let's say kitchen counters, sinks, car door handles, doorknobs, the, the harder surfaces that have a lot of high contact through your day-to-day life. Exactly. And that's one of our guidance as well, is making sure that you're washing those high-touch surfaces very often. On our website, we have a whole list of EPA-approved disinfectants we know are effective for the coronavirus. And then washing those high-touch surfaces often, often, often. Doorknobs, phones, countertops. Yeah, so there's a whole list, again, of EPA-approved disinfectants for coronavirus on our website. So... A lot of us still need to go out, though, and get food. So that means eventually we will have to go out and get groceries. What can you do to stay safe while you're out doing this extremely necessary task for families? So the first thing is that when you're going out to a grocery store, you're going out to take out. One, you want to make sure that you're staying six feet away from people. Two, it's fine to handle things. If you're going to handle groceries, handle food, handing packages, that's fine. Because you don't get the infection through your hands. So you can handle things. That's fine. And then pay for them. And then when you bring them home, and after you've unloaded your bags, you want to make sure that you are uh, washing your hands really, really well in case there's any contamination on the surfaces. And then you want to be sure that you're washing, especially your fruits and vegetables, things like that, wash off very well. Right. So definitely give them a scrub when you get back home. Just process all of your goods through. Could you perhaps wash cans off or wash uh, hard plastic containers like milk jugs? Uh, yeah, you could You could certainly do that. Yeah, many of those containers, especially those that aren't like cardboard or paper that might get damaged with the water. But yeah, you could certainly wash off those hard, especially plastic containers. In the case of, let's say, items that have dual packaging setups, cereal boxes are an excellent example where you have a cardboard exterior and a plastic interior. Would it be possible to pull the cardboard off and then just have the plastic bag and not be infected that way? That's certainly a possibility. But remember, cardboard is probably only 24 hours. So especially your non-perishables, and I think some people are doing this, and it's quite reasonable that if you want to kind of just put them in the other room for 24 hours, then it should be fine. But you could take off those that have that double packaging, take out the inner package. But you want to make sure the thing to think through that, like let's say it has a cardboard external packaging, you're going to have to open up that external packaging. And then if you go in and reach that internal packaging, then you could well be contaminating that internal packaging. So you'd have to kind of open the external, wash your hands well, and then pull out. Now, a lot of this may sound scary, but grocery stores will assist you while you're doing this. In my local area, I've noticed that Walmart has set up a almost barricade of of shopping carts to keep populations from mingling as they enter and exit. And there's also a washing station that many places are providing where you can sanitize your shopping cart to the best of your personal ability before you actually enter the building. So the grocery store will be working with you in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. And the grocery stores, I have to say, our business community has been so helpful and they really want to do the right thing for the people. Good public health is good business. So our businesses want to be as helpful for public health as possible. 
ultimately, we are all in this together. 100%. Yep. We talked about grocery stores, just thinking about takeout as well. So the same kind of principles, if you're taking, getting food from takeout, you want to stay six feet away from the, the people doing takeout. And then when you bring it back, then um, you can just, you know, open the containers and you can dump the food out onto plates and then throw the takeout containers away and then wash your hands really well while you eat. The food itself should be fine. The way COVID-19 does not seem to be spread through food. So the food itself should be fine, but it might be good practice again as you, um, those takeout containers, you empty them, throw them away, and then wash your hands well before you eat. Exactly. And to really, really put a bullet on that one, SARS apparently does not have much effectiveness when spread via food, correct? Right. Yes. It does not seem to be a route of transmission. Yep. It may seem like a great concern because we all know that a lot of people work to assemble this food uh, before we consume it, but it won't serve nearly as much as a risk as actually touching a hard surface or a packaging. Yeah, well, remember, what it depends on what part of your body it's kind of going into and the stuff that comes into our digestive system. So we have a lot of protective pieces in our digestive system. So our, the saliva and then the acid in our stomach and all the stuff in our intestines, they're incredible protections. That's good news for a lot of people who love them some takeout. And we want, certainly want to support our local businesses through this and making sure we're supporting our bars and restaurants and those who do offer takeout. We want to be sure we're supporting them as well. It's a really important piece is, as we're protecting our health, but we also want to be sure we're protecting our economy. So it's important to be able to support them. Definitely. Now, can we talk about some don'ts when going out grocery shopping? There's a lot of concerns with hoarding. One, we want to make sure our supply chain is there. And the other piece is that there's some people who just don't have enough money to be able to buy a lot of things at once. And they only can buy enough food for a couple days. And so we wanna be sure that there is supply for people who aren't able to go and buy a lot of supplies at once. We um, Food insecurity is, is, had already been a big issue in North Carolina, people not having enough food to eat. And so we wanna be really mindful that a lot of people don't have a lot of money and especially people who have lost their jobs because of this that there's going to be a lot of people without much money and they may have to be buying food day to day. And so we want to be sure that there is food enough for everybody. So that's one of the reasons that we really are trying to have people not hoard so that we're sure that there is enough food for everybody. Thank you so much, Dr. Elizabeth Tolson, for coming in and giving us this advice. It was my pleasure. Anytime. I really, really appreciate you asking me to join you. And I think part of the really important piece of this pandemic, when there are so many uncertainties and so many unknowns, and I know people are really worried and anxious that as much as we can really proactively communicate directly to the people, the better. So I really appreciate the opportunity to do that. Of course. We are living through an incredibly difficult time of our nation's history right now. But that also means everyone has some kind of story to tell. And here at Eye in the Triangle, we're going to do our best to keep telling those stories. Thank you for coming in. During tonight's show of Eye in the Triangle, we have interviewed two health and safety professionals about SARS-CoV-2, the pandemic gripping the United States and currently sweeping the world. Both sources here are credible individuals from their respective fields. But while we've all been social distancing for what feels like forever, our understanding of SARS-2 is constantly evolving. When in doubt of new information, always be sure to concentrate on that which makes you and your loved ones safest. Misinformation has always been a risk. And the pandemic year of 2020, it's all the more important to verify the truth of what you hear. We at WKNC and I in the Triangle urge our listeners to follow up, to stay informed, and to stay safe. Keep your ears to the ground, people. Let's get on with the show. 
I'm Aaron Kling with WKNC 88.1's Eye on the Triangle, and I'm currently speaking with Professor and Food Safety Specialist Benjamin Chapman. We're talking about food safety for shoppers and businesses. Mr. Chapman, welcome aboard Eye on the Triangle. Hi, Aaron. Thank you so much. Now, uh, how would you get us started here? What does food safety mean in the current pandemic we're facing, COVID-19? So really the, the biggest thing to, to keep in mind is that with this particular pathogen, with the SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID-19, we have no data, no information, no sort of inkling showing that food or food packaging is really a risk factor for getting sick. And what that really means is we look at all of the clusters of illnesses that we have seen. And obviously we're in the hundreds of thousands here in the US and over a million worldwide. There are individuals in public health who are epidemiologists that study how people are getting sick. And what those individuals are showing and, and releasing new information every day is really about what are the common points where someone might get sick. And there was a really interesting one that came out earlier this week that showed individuals in Chicago got sick from one person who was asymptomatic who had gone to a funeral. And there was a lot of embracing and, and close contact. And this is back three, four weeks ago, but sort of showing the details of, of during the investigation, who they hugged and, and how long for just from basically on someone's recollection. And around food safety, this is exactly what we do in normal food safety outbreak time. And what's good in one sense is that food isn't something that we've seen that we need to be worried about from a transmission standpoint. And really that biggest risk factor is just being around other people. And that's why physical distancing, social distancing are so important because being near somebody who might be even just breathing or talking and little moisture droplets come out of our mouth and they may not even have any sort of symptoms, that can really lead to transmission of the virus. And, and we haven't sort of seen that exact same thing where someone might have like sneezed or coughed on something that they're that they're serving and then someone eats it and that leading to illness, which is which is a good thing. It means that we don't have to really our big focus into the food system and food safety in, in general. But that number one thing is being around people is really the risk factor for illnesses in, in this outbreak. Of course. Statistics have shown that roughly over 90% of all transmissions, all infections, have occurred from individual to individual contact. But how do we account for that final 10%? Uh, I guess right now we don't know. This is one of the things that we really have to look at as epidemiologists go forward. And I think if we look back to other outbreaks and back almost 20 years ago, we had an, an outbreak of another coronavirus, SARS, that really sort of demonstrated the same thing. We've learned a lot about that particular outbreak since then that really showed those sort of unaccounted for situations might have been one case in particular that I can think of a faulty sewage system in an apartment building where virus particles were aerosolized through sewage and then uh, sort of shot through different aspects of people living living really close together. So 90% is great. Those 10% of cases are things that I think we're going to keep looking at. The I guess if, if I can provide any sort of clarity on that, that extra 10% is the question around food and food packaging explicitly is being asked 
every single time one of these clusters are being investigated to see because it is something that we know about disease transmission this way. It's so early. We're really looking at only being in this outbreak really for the first 100 days since we've even identified the particular virus. If we fast forward months, years from now, I think we'll have a better sense of where those other 10% come from. But right now, one of those limitations is is we just don't know. So for the immunocompromised, those at greatest risk for SARS-CoV-2, should food packaging still be addressed as an issue? Of course, the general population doesn't have to worry too much about it, but if you are at particular risk, if you're in the age group, uh, over 70, I believe, that is, of course, most vulnerable, or your immune system is not functional due to pre-existing health conditions, diabetes, compromised immune system, etc., should you have to take even further precautions when it comes to food packaging? So, you know, it's a really great question. And one of the things, and I'll talk about this just specific to me living in Raleigh and and things that I've seen as it comes to like going to the grocery store, like I have, you know, maybe five times probably in the last three and a half weeks, is that that particular vulnerable population, and again, I, I want to be really careful because obviously it's very difficult to look at someone and say how old they are. What I have noticed is a lot of elderly individuals still shopping just like they normally would and being around people in that setting. I can really think that that's the only setting that I've been in. Uh, getting groceries is, is definitely something that's essential. We don't live very long if we can't get food, but really the exposure of being around people is that number one risk factor. And I don't think we've really got our hands around that yet. And just my, again, anecdotally, just as I've shopped in Raleigh a few times. And so pivoting that a little bit to your question around food packaging, well, if we can make an assumption based on data, and again, this isn't just sort of a guess or anything like that, but it's a justified evidence-based assumption that food and food packaging is an extremely unlikely route for for COVID-19. I mentioned epidemiology before. The other aspect is sort of the biology of the virus that sort of leads to this. The virus does have some environmental persistence, but over time, depending on temperature and humidity, the virus will lose its infectivity. The fact that the virus, if I consume it, it's unlikely to infect me because it consuming food ends up in my stomach where the acidity is really going to reduce the ability for the virus to infect because it disrupts this outer shell protein capsid that it's in. And if I start to look at food packaging, I, I would look at it and say, it's not to say that it's zero risk, but I can control or manage those risks by washing my hands. So if I'm in a, an immunocompromised situation, what I'm trying to do is think, and this is something that I'm sharing with, with my parents who are both you know elderly and in that sort of immunocompromised area, is that the virus itself isn't going to move without me or someone moving it. So if I'm around somebody, that person who who may be carrying the virus moves it to me through a cough, through talking. If I've eliminated that social and physical contact, now I've got that under control. The virus could get deposited on a package or deposited on food. And it will only get to me from an infectivity standpoint through my hands and through my, my respiratory system. So I don't see the need for spraying down, wiping packaging with disinfectant, leaving it on my porch or, or outside my house for three days to wait for that virus to inactivate because there's problems with both the magic number of three days or four days or seven days or whatever it is. Plus, there are certain foods that I just can't leave in that position, but I really can manage the risk through and mitigate it through hand washing. Think about when I come home from shopping, immediately I'm going to wash my hands. In fact, the first thing that I do after I leave the grocery store is use hand sanitizer on my hands in my car. 
When I come home, I'm washing my hands. I'm putting away my groceries. I wash my hands after that. And then there's a third step of, of mitigation. If I am really, really worried about packaging, that's when I take that that package out of the out of the refrigerator, out of the pantry, that and, and I'm using it in food preparation or before I'm consuming something, then I'm also washing my hands again. And those hand washing steps are not unique to COVID-19. Those are important steps that we would put in place in any food safety situation. We want people to be washing their hands because of norovirus, because of salmonella, because of E. coli 157H7. And breaking those transmission pathways through hand washing is really, really good. I really have trouble with the the focus on packaging as something that I look at because we can't get this just getting around people situation under control. And then secondly, I have this hand-washing step that I can use. I guess the last thing to leave before before we leave packaging would be to also highlight that I'm assuming that we're going to be at home for a while. I'm assuming just based on epidemiology, based on stay-at-home orders and such that I'm going to need to reserve the sanitizer and the disinfectant that I do have for times where I need it. Like when I need to go to the doctor's office, when I need to go do something that's essential, my toilet breaks and I need to go fix, I've got to go to a hardware store to get that. I, I really want to keep my disinfectant for those times when I have to go somewhere. Or if someone in my family gets sick from COVID-19 and has symptoms, I really want my disinfectant for that where I'm isolating myself if I'm the one who's sick or my kids or or, or, or my spouse. And I don't want to waste it on food packaging because I have another mitigation step that I have an abundance of soap. I can keep washing my hands with that soap. And I do think it's silly to sort of spray down cereal boxes. Especially considering that in the case of cereal boxes, you can just remove the exterior packaging and the interior plastic containment for the actual cereal itself would be safe to handle. Yep, sure. Absolutely. And I truthfully don't even know if that's something that would realistically reduce the risk any more than just washing my hands every time I touch my cereal box. Do you have any other recommendations when it comes to how you can distance yourself, how you can ensure that you and your family is not infected? Yeah. I mean, so I guess a, a few things really come. One is is this idea of, of using um, all the infrastructure we do have with regards to apps and ordering, whether it's delivery or curbside pickup for food in general, whether that at restaurants or at grocery stores. I, I think for vulnerable populations, that's an absolute necessity. That would be something that I would encourage individuals to do. You mentioned masks as well. And I think we have to be, there's a little bit of a nuance to this. So there are surgical masks, there are N95 respirators, and then there are cloth face coverings. All of them, I think, are colloquially being referred to as masks, and they're, they're really quite different. N95 respirator that I think we, we really need to be reserving for our frontline medical personnel who are handling the tragedy of, of this outbreak as medical professionals with individuals who are ill. And so we know that there's a lack of that personal protective equipment. So I really want to make sure that we're not using those to go to the grocery store. But CDC's recommendation, I guess almost a week ago now, of cloth face coverings, I think there is quite a bit of merit to this. And this isn't merit of me as the shopper protecting myself from breathing in virus. It really is me as the shopper protecting others around me from me breathing out virus and from an asymptomatic standpoint. And I think that that is something that is extremely important for us to, to keep in mind. It, it really it allows uh, wearing these cloth face coverings, whether it's, you know, you've seen lots of different things on social media about it, but the important parts are making sure that it covers 
fingers, both your nose and your mouth, that it's somehow tied or affixed behind your head. So it's in place, there aren't gaps. But in my 20 minutes that I'm in the grocery store, I can really reduce the chance that I'm asymptomatically spreading this virus to others through my, even though I'm doing social distancing and, and really being cognizant about how close I am, I'm catching any virus that I might be breathing out. That's really important societally. Going back to the, the idea of touchless, interactionless deliveries, pickups, there are so many retailers that are that are doing this. And this isn't just sort of major retailers. We have independent hardware store. I purchased some stuff that we had to repair something at our house over the weekend. And I made a phone call, gave them payment information. And I drove up behind the hardware store. I didn't even open up my window, open up the trunk of my car. They put stuff in the trunk and I drove away. The more that we can do that, the better it is for what we're trying to do in limiting the overwhelming the healthcare system. I mentioned hand washing a few times. I do wanna mention as well that hand sanitizing in this case has a lot of efficacy for us. So every time someone is talking about hand washing, I think you can say hand sanitizer and or uh, process there. I'm definitely reserving the hand sanitizer that I do have for when I go to the grocery store or when I go somewhere else and really utilizing hand washing in my own home. And just being like, mindful and cognizant of what I'm doing when I do have to go take care of these essential things. It's not a two hour trip to the grocery store where I don't have a plan of what it is I'm trying to get. And I'm trying to get inspiration about what I'm going to cook. When I get there, I'm, I'm really thinking and sitting down beforehand. In fact, getting to a point where I'm putting together my shopping list in a way that maps out the grocery store that I'm going through. So I'm not spending time going back and forth between the produce section and the meat section because I forgot something. It's like I'm being mindful and I'm trying to plan to make sure that I'm around people the least amount of time possible. And then also seeking out places that are providing cart sanitizer, cart wipes, that kind of thing to reduce the likelihood that someone before me might transmit the virus to me through hands. And so, so I think those are the really big keys here. Just coming back to the illnesses that we are seeing, the risk is really person to person, being around people for the next little while. And, you know, depending on how relative little is, but I, I would expect months, we really need to be cognizant about how often we're around people and what we're doing to reduce the chance that we're transmitting the virus. And one of the places that we spend a lot of time in right now are food related things. So being a super super cognizant of what I'm doing and that I'm not around people. It's not like a family outing where I'm taking my kids and my spouse with me. All four of us are going to do this. It's, it's that I'm trying to limit the total amount of time that any of us are around people. That's the biggest key as we try to control this outbreak. Yes. I'm actually really happy that you mentioned the idea of pre-planning, the idea of getting an idea of all the meals you're going to make, not just night of, but for the week ahead of you and possibly the second week, if you can manage that level of planning. My girlfriend and I, we only send one individual in, mask up, of course, grab exactly what you need, leave at all good speed, and head on out. That's essentially all you have to do. It's just a matter of getting in to the area where you need your resources and getting out quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great plan. On the subject of masks, you were referring to N95s being very important for our frontline ambulance drivers EMTs, nurses, doctors, anyone who would be possibly exposed to SARS-CoV-2 patients and those who be treating those patients and possibly at risk of falling ill themselves. I want to ask you about mask donation. Can you speak to that? When it comes to mass donation, I think this is an area that it's most important to lean on your local public health 
departments and officials. And I know in many places across the U.S., they are coordinating mask donation efforts and trying to connect people with the front lines. But that's really sort of the extent of my expertise. Additionally, you mentioned sanitizing of shopping carts, bags, things like that as you're heading into a place. So you really want to focus on grocery stores that are being cognizant of the situation and actually have stations set up with employees sanitizing equipment you're coming in with or allowing you to self-sanitize. Would you say there's risk of the handles, points of continuous contact for multiple people over time? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say if we start to come down the list away from person to person and we kind of make the assumption that that's our priority, high touch surfaces would really be my number two. And so uh, very early on in this outbreak, we saw grocery stores, restaurants limit high touch items and, you know, buffet lines, self-service scoops, hot bars at grocery stores, even down to like salt and pepper shakers and condiments, ketchup bottles and menus. And that, yeah, absolutely. There is something that we can control that there is a potential for someone who's symptomatic or asymptomatic to place the virus on those surfaces. And then without that break of a hand washing or hand sanitizer afterwards, it's important to clean and sanitize them. And that's where I think carts, shopping baskets are really important. You mentioned bags. I'm still using reusable bags. Really, the risk of me is much greater than my bag in a store situation. I've seen a couple of different grocery stores that have said, if you're going to bring your own reusable bags, our associates won't pack them, which I think is totally fine from a risk reduction for the frontline staff. But I do have a management system for that, which is when I get home and unpack my groceries, I put those bags in the laundry right away, directly in the washing machine, which is what I would do. I may sound crazy, but this is what, as a food safety specialist, that's what I would do every time I go grocery shopping since I had a reasonable bag. And so these are messages. You don't have to go very far to see that, that the messages around how we manage COVID-19 are very similar to the messages that we always talk about around food safety. Compliance is, I would say right now, probably pretty high compared to what it is in normal non-COVID-19 times around these messages because of heightened awareness. The bag situation, common touch points, cleaning, sanitizing, disinfecting those every night is something that I know that the food system grocery stores are really, really focused on. And that's that's good and it protects me as a shopper. You've mentioned the phrase frontline a few times. How do we define people on the front lines of this battle against SARS-CoV-2? I mean, there's a few. The healthcare providers are really these essential individuals that are that are there battling in hospitals and in, in triage centers. But I also look at any of the essential workers that are out there, people that are keeping us going for our essential services, paramedics, absolutely, but really down to restaurant employees and farm harvesters. We would see them as sort of the unsung heroes of our food system, but the person who's checking me out at the grocery store, I can't get my food unless someone's doing that. Many of us are at home because we have the ability to work from home, but someone who works at a grocery store as a cashier can't work from home and do that job. Those individuals are around people day in and day out, and they are, to me, very courageous as they're doing something that's keeping everyone else alive, really, and to manage us getting food. So, you know, I see anybody who are in these essential services food manufacturing, sewage, trash, they have to be there to do that job. And if they don't, then society has a real, real problem. Those are the frontline workers in my mind. Exactly. Individuals who keep all the gears turning, who don't really have necessarily the luxury, uh, whether by their own personal finances or by their desire for employment or to help out. They can't just turn their back and, and go indoors like a lot of us can. They have to, they have to keep hitting it. Absolutely. And thank you so much for coming on to Eye on the Triangle. 
This is great. Thanks a lot for, for having me. I'm Aaron Kling with WKNC 88.1 Zion the Triangle, and I'm signing off. Stay healthy, people.